0: Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hey, Resurrection Church, what a great time of worship Man, I I love being in God's presence and having communion together. Uh, today I'm with my dear friend again, Pastor John Hammer from Seattle, and we're going to talk about rejoicing in the Lord. As we're coming into Christmas season, on the heels of Thanksgiving, I can't think of a better topic than rejoicing in the Lord. And we're going to use as our text the book of Philippians. We're going to go through portions of each of the four chapters. My objective today for you is to see the kind of Christ-like attitude that we're to continually exhibit according to Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Some key questions to ask ourselves is, do we only rejoice when things are going our way? And what can we learn from Paul related to rejoicing in this epistle? And by rejoicing, we're talking about Uh, a sense of worship and celebration that we get from focusing on Jesus. As we have our joy in Christ, we rejoice. Christ alone is our source of joy. You can get happiness from many other places, but joy is eternal, and it only comes from God. And so we're going to read this portion from Philippians, and according to the epistle, He wrote this from a prison. Um, He lost almost everything at this point. The only thing he didn't lose was his faith. We're not sure if he was in prison in Ephesus or in Rome or somewhere else, but we know he was in prison, and yet he exhibited a graceful attitude of praise no matter what situation he was in. His life was centered on Jesus Christ, and let's see how... Rejoicing is the key not only to understand this four uh, chapter book, but key for our own life. And so I'm going to ask Pastor John Hammer to read Philippians chapter 1, verse 12
1: to 20. All right. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ may be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And so here he is in prison. He was imprisoned for his faith in Christ, which means he was unfairly imprisoned. Uh, After all, that's not a crime, really, um, that he didn't murder anybody. He didn't steal. He was just preaching Christ. And on top of an unfair imprisonment, John, we see that others took advantage of his absence and began to preach to make things harder for him. And some preached out of envy and strife. Mm. And in spite of that, he was still rejoicing. Right. I It's mean, incredible. I, I, it's, un, it's incredible. And what, what do we see is the key here. How come he was able to rejoice?
1: I guess Paul was able to keep the gospel the main focus. So even if he felt like, you know, a lot of times people tear down anybody that teaches differently than them, or they think that someone has the wrong motive, they just rip them to shreds on social media. But Paul's heart was like, hey, even if they don't get it all right, or they don't have all the perfect motives, I'm just glad that the message is getting out there. That's what it seems like. He's th- he, like, not just, And he's not just glad, I guess. He, he, glad in the true sense. Like he's enthusiastically joyful. He's rejoicing and celebrating that, the gospel spreading
0: so even today if we think a pastor has a wrong motive mm. or let's say they're doing it for their own monetary gain yeah. or uh, they're doing it to have the biggest church in the community or they're doing it because they're trying to prove themselves Paul's attitude was, hey, I'm glad the gospel's being preached, right? right? Yeah. And, and some of us would be a little legalistic and say, oh, he doesn't have a good attitude. Uh, how could God bless him? Right. And Paul has a greater attitude than, than most of us would have, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that.
1: he does. Do you think that he—and it was also, in a sense, like— it he doesn't need to take on every burden of what everybody else is doing. Like, he rejoices the gospel, and it's like also, in a sense, he's not going to try to micromanage. I mean, he was an apostle. He had authority, leadership authority, where God directed him. But he was like, you know what? They're out spreading the message. I don't have to worry about the people. because, And I know at other times he's warning people that are preaching a false gospel. So he wouldn't tolerate if it was a false gospel. So their gospel was actually true, right? Their message was good, but their motives were wrong. Um, and so, but because the true message got out there, he was like, I'm not going to waste my time. And I think that could be a key for joy as well. Not wasting your time with things that God hasn't really called you to deal with.
0: Yeah. We can't solve every problem. We have to leave some problems to God, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you did make a great, great point. Do not allow other people's wrong motives or actions to control you emotionally. Yeah. Paul refused to allow anybody or any circumstance to dictate his emotions. Why? Mm-hmm. Because he was focused on Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus, as the sovereign, as the ruler overall, will have the final say anyway. So why lose a night's sleep mm-hmm. over someone else's bad actions and motives? Right. Uh, wow, this is a great, great lesson for us. His joy in Christ enabled him to rejoice, even though people were preaching Christ for the wrong motives, wrong reasons, and even somehow to add to his affliction. All right. Paul also rejoiced because he knew that he would soon be released from prison. That's another thing. He had faith, as he said, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance meaning he'd be released from prison. So he also lived in the present with an expectation that through faith, God was going to enable him to fulfill his assignment and he would be released from prison. So we see that as well. Let's go to chapter 2. I'll read chapter 2, verse 14 to 18. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God, without blemish or with, without spot or accusation, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Even if I am proud, or even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So here we see Paul in prison. He was not righteously accused. He was unfairly put in prison, suffering, and those prisons, by the way, were like dungeons. It wasn't like they had windows, and by all accounts, he was probably in chains as well. So it was a very, very tough situation. It wasn't like the prisons we have in the USA. And some of the prisons in the USA would be like living, uh, you know, on a vacation property in some of the poor countries today. So we see him in this condition. But then he says, even though this is happening because I'm being poured out as a drink offering for the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So instead of feeling sorry for Paul... Mm -hmm. Paul was saying it's a privilege and an honor that I could suffer for the sake of the church. What do you think of that?
1: I guess it's such a different mindset that like maybe the American view of Christianity is sometimes like if you serve God, you're going to be really blessed. And we know there are promises of blessing for obeying God and being righteous and handling your finances the right way. And, you know, uh, there's all those things and it is a blessing to serve God. But I think... Paul must have found the secret that just loving Jesus and doing everything for Him, no matter how much it costs you or how much you suffer, uh, and I guess not even just for Jesus, but even for Jesus and His church. Like Paul loved, Paul loved the church. You can see here he was willing to suffer not just for Christ, but for their sake, as an example and as you know, as a leader. Uh, so he just had a deep love for Christ and the church and for things that are eternal. I guess his perspective was just not on the temporary.
0: Wow. You make a great point. Sometimes the American church seems to bring a gospel forth that is solely so that we can live a comfortable life. We can live an affluent life. They got to provide our needs so we could have a nice home and a nice, you know, uh, illustrious vacation and all these different things when it seems like Paul did not consider his joy based on the material things that he had. Yep. And, Instead of complaining about prison and instead of complaining about how hard it was to represent Christ for the sake of the church, to serve the church, he thought that not only should he rejoice, the church should rejoice to him. Yeah. Man, it's an honor. Well, why don't you read Philippians chapter
1: 3, verses 1 to 3. Okay.
0: Wow. So we see here another reason, a third reason for Paul rejoicing is because it is we who worship God by the spirit and glory in Christ Jesus, meaning um, he's rejoicing because he doesn't have to earn his salvation. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. And because it's totally by grace, it's by grace alone, but it's not just grace so that we can go to heaven. It's grace so we could fellowship with God, so that we could worship God, so that we could know God, that we could be in tune with God. It's like Saint Anthony said, "God became a man, so that man could become like God." Mm-hmm. Theodosius. It's it's it has to do with being like God, mm-hmm. partaking of His divine uh, character and His divine nature. Oh, that's that's what I see here. Yeah, uh, they called it Theodosus, mm-hmm. being like God. What do you think of that?
1: That's wild. Um, <laughs> so it, he's re- he's entreating them to rejoice in the Lord, and he says it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you. And then he said, "Watch out for these dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. For it's we who serve God by His Spirit. We boast in Christ." You know, so do you, are are the dogs and evildoers those that are trying to get the philippian church to to turn away from that simple message of how we get to participate in the divine life of god
0: yeah yeah well basically when the church started it was a monocultural church uh-huh. that means it was only jewish and the church as we look in the book of acts never stopped being jewish that is to say they still didn't eat pork they they followed the dietary laws They probably still took off on the Mm -hmm. Sabbath, even though they worshipped on Sunday. Um, And they probably still circumcised their children. The only thing they didn't do was offer animal sacrifices because Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So they still kept all the accoutrements, the the cultural accoutrements that would signify that they were Jews. However, when they tried to get Gentiles to get circumcised, to be saved. Mm -hmm. That's when they were in error. And those are the people Paul is calling the dogs. Okay. He's calling them uh, the lowest name that he could possibly use in Jewish law uh, because they were trying to get them circumcised. And that's why he said, we are the circumcision. He said, look out for those to try to mutilate the flesh. It's talking about circumcision, meaning Mm. If you're a Gentile, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to change your dietary uh, tastes, and you don't have to do anything to follow the law. Of course, the Mm -hmm. Ten Commandments, the moral law, is always something we follow. Uh But we don't have to follow the ceremonial law in order to be saved if we're Gentiles. So what Paul was referring to there was people people were trying to negate the grace of Christ and make them Jewish in order to save them.
1: So when he's saying rejoice in the Lord, he's saying you don't have to do all that stuff. That's, they're telling you you're circumcising your flesh, but he's saying that you're actually mutilating your flesh. And so he's saying rejoice in the Lord. Your joy isn't come from trying to get under the ceremonial law. Your joy comes in the Lord and that you identify with Christ Jesus. Your confidence comes from who Jesus is and what he's done. And like what you're saying, he became like us so we could become like him.
0: Right. We're rejoicing in the finished work of Christ. We can't add to it. Mm-hmm. We can't make it happen on our own by being good or following the law. And what they were trying to do was get the Philippian church to assure themselves that they were going to be saved by getting circumcised. So Paul called them dogs. Wow. But he used strong language. And we have to be very strong against any teaching that adds to Christ and his atonement. And that's really the lesson we get here. So because it's Christ and Christ alone that saves us, we can rejoice in Jesus. Yeah. And we don't take confidence in our flesh and our own abilities, but we rejoice in Jesus Christ in the spirit. Wow. It's precious. Yep. And understanding Christ as the only source of salvation releases the spirit of God to fall upon us, to communion with us, to have communion with us and to walk with us. Uh, We worship God in the spirit. Okay, let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. And we're going to go to verse 4 to 7. Paul again uses this term, rejoice in the Lord. Every chapter, he's Mm -hmm. saying rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. That's the theme of this book. Rejoice in the Lord always, not sometimes. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord is reigning. It's not just the future kingdom. He's here now. His kingdom Mm -hmm. is here now. Do not be anxious about anything. So because we're rejoicing, Mm -hmm. we understand we don't have to be anxious in anything because the Lord is at hand. And then he tells us, if you are fighting anxiousness or if you are battling in your mind fear, he said, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, there it is, rejoicing with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. So even when we're praying, even when we're in need, we have to intermingle thanksgiving with our requests. Otherwise, we're missing the point of the gospel. And the result of this will be the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard, in the Greek that's umpire, will protect or guide our hearts and our minds in Christ. So when you're not praying, when you're not casting your cares upon the Lord, your heart is not able to guide and guard you because it's overwhelmed with fear. And so this is a a powerful uh, verse here related to casting our cares on God. Any comments there?
1: Yeah, maybe a question for you too, because um, I've been thinking about this a lot as I've been teaching and trying to grow as a leader, as a husband, as a dad, in different, different relationships I have. Um, but it seems like I'm, I'm seeing in the scripture, this theme of like emotional health and, a you know, a lot of the rejoicing is about having our focus on Christ. And then here it feels like Paul gives us more of a practical instruction. And maybe sometimes as Christians, we think about having the right spiritual beliefs, our foundation on the gospel, which should be our, I think our, If we don't have that right, we have everything wrong, right? So we've got to get Jesus right. We've got to get the gospel right. That's got to be the basis of our life. But sometimes we don't apply it to our emotions or we don't apply it to our actual circumstances that cause us anxiety, fear. And it seems like some Christians are spiritually strong but emotionally weak because they just get head knowledge or they get the right beliefs but then when the pressures of life come, the different things, they don't know how to like pour out their heart. They don't know how to live in thanksgiving which, I, or rejoice, which I think is more than just being optimistic. But it's truly thanking God, you know, in the middle of everything. So could you speak to that a little bit about how, because to me, someone who's casting all their cares upon God and they're thankful all the time and they have peace coming in their heart. That's an emotionally resilient person, not just somebody who has the right spiritual thoughts.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, we see even further on in the context how he was able to stay in that attitude of rejoicing. In verse 8, he says, And whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are honest, whatever things are of a good report, think or focus or meditate on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's not just prayer. It's also focusing your mind on good things. There are certain things in the news we don't have to watch. I mean, I see people filled with fear or COVID. Mm. Uh, the word of God tells us in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but that actually works in reverse. Yeah. Whatever you're constantly hearing, you're going to believe. So yep. if all you're doing, you have the news on 24 hours a day about these people dying and getting sick and this, that, and the other thing, you're going to be filled with fear. Um, and so Job says, "What I feared came upon me." You could actually open up doors to things to happen if you give in to fear. Yeah. And the, the Bible tells us, "Fear not, I am with you." The Bible doesn't give us an option. It says, "Fear not," so many times. You could Google that and look at your mm-hmm. uh, your Bible and your concordance. And so part of how we don't fear is by focusing on the right things. I'm not saying don't watch the news, but only watch a little bit of it. Get the guidelines, hear a little, get a snippet here and there. Spend most of your time meditating on the word of God, thinking on good things, worshiping, and you're not going to control your life anyway. Why spend five hours a day watching the news, reading social media, conspiracy theories, and this crazy QAnon, all this other stuff, and... All it does is distract us from the main thing. Even if some of these conspiracies are true, let's just say they are, God is in control anyway. So focus on Jesus, not on what the world is saying.
1: Right. That's good. One thing that um, my wife and I, uh, we took uh, something that my my mom started with our family, like around Thanksgiving time. And I know it's right around the holiday season. Uh, is that she would pass this little basket around and make us drop a a, a corn kernel in the basket and say something we're thankful for. And it was like a Thanksgiving tradition. But my wife and I have continued it. And we've kind of used that as our primary way to teach our kids to pray. And so once a week, we try to have family Sabbath, where for 24 hours from like evening to evening, I don't go on my phone, no social media, no news, nothing that I try to get away from everything that would raise stress levels, (laughs) right? Or just be negative and just things that are more replenishing and joyful um, it's not like a legalistic thing, but just something that helps benefit us, you know. And in that day, we try to spend extra time with our kids to read the Bible, worship, sing some worship songs, and pray together. And that's what we do. We everybody goes around and out loud says, "God, I thank you for at least three things." And that's kind of how we've used to try to disciple them in prayer and talk to God is primarily relating to them through thankfulness. And so this is a really important scripture to me, um, and it's something I, I'm an intense thinker. I'm passionate. You know, my emotions can get the best of me if I'm not careful. And so I've had to choose to like really practice thankfulness, really practice uh, rejoicing and joy. Um, and it's easy to find out what's going wrong. You know, it doesn't take a prophet or a real spiritual person to figure out what's wrong in culture, what's wrong with our election system, what's wrong with the church, <laughs> right? So, But intentionally, I think it's a really good spiritual discipline to say, I'm going to practice this. And so that family Sabbath time where we spend time out loud saying what we're thankful for, I just heard one of my friends, their family they their kids every night before bed they do like what were the pits of the day and what were the cherries of the day (laughs) you know and so they and their kids always focus on more cherries and they're teaching their kids to think more about the positive things every day uh, to be thankful for than the things that are negative so i just think it's it's good to have those disciplines then that kind of line up with what our beliefs are what we want our our heart and our mind to be about joy like find a way to practice it regularly or even i I haven't done this lately but even early in covid i started saying i I did a hashtag on instagram and facebook called thankful daily uh and i would i would write three things that i was thankful for because and it gave me a discipline i did it for weeks maybe even months and i kind of got away from it as this these lockdowns have persisted but maybe i need to get back to it again this thanksgiving season it just helped every day i had to focus on what are three things and i tried to mix it up a little bit you know so it cause me to just think about all these different things and it gets your mind in that right place and and therefore your your soul and and your emotions and everything follow as you get your mind on those things that are good and true and lovely and yeah being thankful for.
0: Well that's really practical. The Bible's a very practical book. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, you know whatever you complain about you repel. <laughs> whatever you are grateful for and thankful for you attract.
1: That's powerful.
0: And so if we're living in thankfulness We're going to change our attitude, Um, and you could even be in a terrible mood. Uh, You could be almost depressed, but if you force yourself to speak out loud the things that you're thankful and grateful for, your salvation, your spouse, your child, whatever it is, in spite of any tragedies you may have experienced, there's still things to be grateful for. The fact that you're still alive, you should be grateful to God that you have a chance to breathe another breath you start speaking that out loud. It starts changing your mind, and there go the bad moods. Yep. It's quite amazing. Um, yeah, what you're sharing is great and very practical, and uh, taking that, that Sabbath off helps you to recalibrate. It reminds me of a book, something like, it's called The Radical Elimination of Hurry or Something. Yeah,
1: it's a good one. I yeah. think I read that one, actually. It yeah, yeah. actually tipped the scale for us doing Sabbath.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's important. I've been trying to take off Friday night to Saturday night.
1: That's the um, day we try the most. Sometimes it doesn't always work, so we switch it to another day or we don't get it as good, but...
0: I mean, there are emergencies that come yeah. up. There's still things in the house sometimes that have to be done, but I try, and it's, it's given me life, and it helps me preach on set on Sunday. Yep. Now Saturday night I get back in there, you know, yep. sun it's like the, the Jewish Sabbath when the sun comes down I yeah, go same back. Yep. Gotta check texts, make sure there's no emergencies at yep. church or people who're supposed to be there the next day and get my message ready. But Friday night to Saturday night, yeah. I try to decompress. I didn't
1: know we were the same in that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, as we wrap this up, let's go to the last part of Philippians four. And why don't you read verse 10 to 13.
1: I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, And so he talks about i could do all things through christ it gives me strength but that's often misquoted yeah uh, you could do any kind of. i could job. run a marathon or, yeah, yeah, yeah i you,
1: could be the best lawyer uh, i could i can marry yeah. any woman i want <laughs> <you know? laughs> i can do all
0: things yeah. yeah 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 but the context here is what john what is the thing he could do all things through christ for
1: Um, I think he had learned the secret of rejoicing no matter if he had a little or a lot. So he he could do all things. It didn't matter if he only had a little bit. So it didn't mean he was always going to have whatever he wanted. It meant kind of the—well, it meant you might have times like that, but it could be the complete opposite. You could still do all things when you have great need or great lack.
0: Right. Basically, what he's almost talking about is a miracle. You could be content. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And contentment is— what most people don't have, right? or at least people in, in our circles who are very uh, high-D leadership and mm-hmm. all of that, and people are very rarely content who are great achievers, uh, that's what drives them to keep on going for more and more. But basically, man, what Paul is saying here is we need to live a content life. Not that we don't strive for more. Paul was always striving. We've seen Philippians 3— he was striving to market a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He wanted to know God, grow. He was hungry and thirsty for Jesus and for serving God. He worked hard. He even said that he poured his life out as a drink offering. So mm-hmm. in the context of all this, he's saying, I'm content in Christ. Yeah. No matter what comes my way, uh, as long as I'm in God's will, I'm content. Yeah. That's powerful, isn't it?
1: Very much and so. We
0: need that. That's countercultural today yep. in our world. In Philippians four eighteen, to 20, and we'll wrap it up here. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts that you sent. So the Philippian church partnered with Paul in the gospel, tells us Philippians 1, 6. It meant they supported him financially. They prayed for him. And he says, Epaphrodites sent the monetary gift. And he said, it's, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says this incredible promise, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. To God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul it tells us in verse 10, he rejoiced greatly in the Lord that they revived their concern for him, meaning they gave him that monetary gift. Uh, then he goes on to say that he received full payment and. Everything that uh, they gave him through Epaphroditus came through, and then he promised them, because you've remembered me, because you have supplied what the kingdom of God needs, because you've supported me in my uh, apostolic ministry, God's going to supply all of your needs, and that's how the kingdom of God operates, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we can rejoice in the fact that when we give, the gift may leave our hand but never leave our life. Yeah. Whatever we sow, we reap. And if we support God's kingdom with our tithes and offerings, God said, I will provide your needs according to my riches, not according to your riches, not Mm -hmm. according to your employee, not according to your ability to create wealth, but according to his riches, he's going to supply our needs. If we support his gospel, then he will support us. Isn't that something to rejoice about? Absolutely. Wow. Okay, well, we're going to end it and in application here today. We see that in the book of Philippians, how Paul learned how to rejoice in spite of unfair imprisonment, in spite of his sacrificial life for the church, in spite of having to go without things at times, and in spite of dealing with Judaizers that were trying to de-emphasize the grace of Christ, he was dealing with heresy there. In spite of all that, he learned how to rejoice. And praise God... We could all learn to rejoice. We could all think of challenges. Everybody here has problems in their life. You have a million reasons not to be thankful, but you know what? If you just had one reason to be thankful, it is greater than all the other reasons combined, and that is Jesus Christ. That's your one reason to rejoice. You have Jesus, you have everything. What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And, you know, there may be somebody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we want to make sure that you know him. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He took upon himself your sins. And, you know, what the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that jesus christ is lord that means he's god he's master he's king you believe in your heart that he's lord and that god rose him from the dead that he's not dead that he's alive he's not like muhammad he's not like Mm -hmm. buddha he's not like confucius he's not like napoleon he didn't die and stay in the grave he said he was going to rise and that's the proof of the christian story three days later he rose. You might say, well, how do I know he rose? Well, it turned Peter upside down, who had denied Christ just a few days before. It turned all the disciples around, even his half-brother James and his other half-brother Jude, who didn't believe, according to John 7, became great apostles. James even became the leader of the church. What turned them around? And what is the cause of the testimony of billions of Christians who all said Jesus came in their life, me included? It happened to me January 10, 1978. No man could have converted me, no nun, no priest, no preacher. I asked Jesus in my life. He came in, and you could have that same experience. He'll take away your sins. He'll release an incredible purpose. You'll know the assignment that you've been born and designed for for the first time in your life. And so if you want to ask Christ in your life, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I come to you. I come to you in Jesus name in Jesus name i know i'm a sinner and know i'm a sinner but i know jesus died for me but i know jesus died for me jesus come in my life jesus come in my life thank you
1: for dying on the cross thank you for dying on the cross thank you for rising from the dead thank you for rising from the dead and because you're alive right now and because you're alive right now i know you could come in my heart i know you could come in my heart fill me with your spirit fill me with your spirit and i will serve you and i will serve you In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well,
0: if you just prayed that prayer, please connect with us. You know, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. A disciple means student. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we want you to go from being a decision maker, and we congratulate you on that decision, to now continuing in the word. In order for that to happen, you need the church to help you. So please make sure you communicate with us via the email that you'll see on your screen. Uh, we want to walk out this new life with you. And if you're not near us geographically, we'll try to help you connect with another church. God bless you. This is Bishop Joseph Matera signing off. Thank you, John, for being a part Thank you. of this. God bless. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.